Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 439. So for me, I, when we were opening the shop, opening both shops, there are always times where you'll hit a roadblock or you have a panic moment. And I think you feel pretty close to either quitting or melting down. And my mom would say, like, just are you in over your head yeah. or are you just out of your comfort zone? Yeah. And almost always, you're just out of your comfort zone, which means it's possible but hard. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Lauren Kelly and Jeff Excel. Are you two feeling unstoppable today? Mentally, yes. <laughs> Physically, I'm getting over something, but mentally, I am here. I'm ready. And Jeff warned me that you might be coming down from a cold, and yeah. you, don't, you sound great. Oh, so thanks. For what it's worth, thanks. I don't think I'm it's a bad. little raspier than normal, but <laughs> I'm good. Jeff, you got you to answer the question, man. Mostly unstoppable. <laughs> I get a little bit bored when I stop. So yes, nice. After experiencing a life-altering moment uh, while eating bread at a New York City flea market, Lauren Culley fell in love with baking as a volunteer. She would eventually leave her cushy desk job in editing to pursue baking. It was also around this time she met partner Jeff Excel. While in New York, the duo realized they wanted to bring the New York Cafe experience back to Columbus, Ohio. And in 2014, along with Excel, she created or they created the experience with Fox in the Snow Cafe. Four years later, they've grown the operation to two locations and a third on the way. So obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I uh, can't wait to dive deeper into your stories. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you guys have for me? So my mine is my mom once told me, know the difference between being out of your comfort zone and being over your head. Mm, know the difference between being out, out of your, your comfort, comfort zone, zone and, and in over, over your head. Over your, so what is the difference? So for me, I, when we were opening the shop, opening both shops, there are always times where you'll hit a roadblock or you have a panic moment. And I think you feel pretty close to either quitting or melting down. And my mom would say, like, just are you in over your head? Yeah. Or are you just out of your comfort zone? Yeah. And almost always... 
you're just out of your comfort zone, which means it's possible but hard. Yeah. And that's I think, you know, that's the place we need to be. That's the place we need to live out of, out of your comfort zone. Yes. Because if you're comfortable, you're not growing. And you got to yes. kind of be I mean, I love uh, I can't remember the name. Oh, man. Uh, Seth Godin says embrace stupid. Because when you embrace stupid and you live in that area of stupidity, that's where you, you, you don't live there for long. You learn new things, and that's where you're growing. Yeah, and if you're running your own shop, if you're, if you're your own boss, you know, the risk that you've taken, there's no way to feel in your comfort zone. Yeah. So that's, I still think about that. Even today, like even when we have something that's going wrong or I'm feeling like something's just not happening, I'm like, we can do this. It's yeah. hard, but we can do it. It's, we're not in push over for, our head push yet. Push through it, yeah. yeah. Jeff, do you have any thoughts over there while we're, we're talking over here? I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's a great mantra. Um, I don't have a personal mantra, but I just have kind of a personal ethos of just keep going. Mm. Like, just be. De- most people could do what we do, but most people aren't determined enough to do it. So I just end up a lot of the times being the motor. So I just keep pushing even when there's a wall there. And, um, yeah, that's kind of my, I don't know why. Like I keep on thinking back to Seth Godin, but he also wrote this book called the dip. And that's what it's about. Is it's just, you know, keep going, keep pushing. Cause usually it's, it's just where most people quit just before things are about to take off. And it's those who can endure like the hard work and to just keep showing up and, if you you know if you if you had the data to look at you would see that you're constantly growing that things are going up you just gotta stick in it stick in there and like not quit so yeah. awesome great way to get this thing started uh, so where does the story start uh, who wants to take it from there I guess um, Lauren oh, I will <laughs> <laughs> so um, it gets pretty cheesy but it's all true um, but I was working um, as a book editor in New York City. I thought that's what I was going to do forever. And um, I went to the Brooklyn Flea with my mom. And we were just walking around to all the different. And if you've, if you've ever been, it's, a, it's like a food mecca. It's like really why people go. Uh, <laughs> and um, there was this one booth. And there was this guy, um, Matthew Tilden. And he was baking bread. He would rip it apart with his hands. This was like part of his whole brand, right? Like he would rip the bread apart with his hands. He had made the mozzarella like that morning. It was still warm. And he would like slather this sandwich together in front of you. And he would wrap it in this parchment paper and hand it to you. And I ate it and it was, it, I, it blew my mind. Mm. And um, my, I have talked to my mom even now about this. And my mom's like, it wasn't that good. That it shouldn't have blown <laughs> your mind. Like it was, it was really good. Just but the experience of it all too. I'm it was sure. just, for me, it, it's like something clicked. And yeah. I was at this weird transition in my life where I was just slowly starting to realize that I wanted to prioritize being happy over mm. everything else. And that experience at the flea market made me happier than most things had in a really long time. That's great. And so I asked him right there, like, are you, can I come work for you? Can I just volunteer for you? And in that moment, in that moment, like oh, just right across the table, was it like on the back burner at all? Or did you just, no, 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 just, no, oh, no, 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 no. I, I just knew I was like, okay, I'm just going to pursue happy in whatever form it comes to me. Mm. And um, so he said yes. And he was a small business and was looking for help. And so I just started working for him at the flea market. So I you know, could go and do the experience for other people that I had had myself. And I worked for him for um, a little while. And then I decided I wanted to get more experience and work in other kitchens. And so um, I just did this mass email where I would say, you know, 
I'm a hard worker, I have a full-time job, but on nights and weekends, for free, I will come and like literally sweep yeah. your floor. I don't know who's going to say no to that. Like, free <laughs> labor. Uh, I know. From someone who hopefully will like show up and do a good yeah. job. But all that I really wanted to do, I had never worked in a kitchen, so I didn't know what working in a kitchen was like. I didn't know the verbiage of a kitchen. Yeah. You know, there's like a movement that happens in the kitchen that's very specific to that environment. And I wasn't familiar with that. So what yet. was that first experience? Like when you got into a kitchen, like, was it like sensory overload? Like, yeah, well, and I think, you know, and I think I even see this happen when people who aren't bakers come into our kitchen, which is you have an idea in your head, probably created by the media of what working in a bakery is going to look like. Yeah. And it looks nothing like that. You know, so what was so, the image in your head? I'm curious. I think you have this idea in your head that it's like slow work, that it's very methodical, you know, and it's actually like, it's a kitchen. It's fast paced. Yeah. It's really physical. Mm-hmm. It's super hard on your body, yep. you know, um, and it is methodical, but it's fast and methodical. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, I think this thing where when you're a home baker, you make 10 of something, mm-hmm. right? And when you're a commercial baker, you're making 400 of something. And there's something, you have to be happy making 400 of something, yeah. or you have to be the kind of person that can make 400 of something perfectly and be happy with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the time that doesn't translate for a lot of people. So I think for me, I had to get over that initial, you know, this is my expectation. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is the reality. Do I still like this reality? Mm. And I think like a lot of people who, go from different kitchens to different kitchens, you find out like, I don't like this kind of environment. I do like this one, but I knew no matter what I liked the physical work of it. I loved the early morning mm-hmm. part of it. I loved that there was like that instant gratification that you got from it. And most importantly, I liked the people that I was working with. I loved the community that yep. existed around food. So I, um, would sit at my desk job and I would go through, um, goodfoodjobs.com <laughs> and I would look for a food job that didn't require previous experience. And it just so happened that this one day I was looking in Blue Bottle in Williamsburg was hiring for a pastry assistant. So how long up to this point uh, were you volunteering before looking <clears throat> for... Um, a year. A year. Uh, I want to chime in real quick just because a lot of what you were saying resonated with me. The uh, the work, the people you're working with. And I didn't work in uh, baking, sort of. Like For 10 years, I worked at a pizza place. And my favorite part of that job was getting there in the morning and just making pizza dough balls. And it's like it's just like like you said, like you make hundreds of them and then you just get to this point where you're not thinking about what you're doing anymore and you're just like, it's all muscle memory yes. and you're just doing like you're cranking out dough ball after dough ball, stretching them into pans and you're just having this great conversation with the people that yes. you love yes. and just learning from people. And like, it's just about, it's like, where else can you just sit and talk for like a couple hours, yes. an hour? Like, do you feel the same way or Jeff? I feel bad. Jeff sitting over here. So no, it's fine. <laughs> I, I love this story. I get to hear it a lot. Yeah. And so it's my favorite story, obviously. Yeah. Cause I come in later, by the yeah. way, Spo- spoiler alert. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I feel that way. I mean, coffee's the same way, you know, you yeah. show up at six, everybody's tired. If you're really young, you're maybe you're hungover or something, and you're like, "Oh, how was your night? What did you do last weekend?" Blah blah blah. Yeah. blah. And then after work, you go out to drinks with those people, or you go hang out with those people, yeah. and they are your family because you're, you know, at least in New York, you're away from home. Oh man, I love this. Uh, so okay, um, take it from there. Sorry to yeah, interject. That's okay. Um, so, so one year volunteering. One year volunteering. I did a lot of at home baking at that point. I tried to self teach my 
self-teach as much as I could. Um, and I also, I think now looking back, I think that one of the most important things I did at that point was I was creating a visual catalog of things that I thought, like spaces that were beautiful or the kind of food that I thought was beautiful. And um, I would go to bakeries all over the city and all the different boroughs where I knew that they were creating the kind of stuff that mm-hmm. I liked. I wasn't really, I wasn't into French pastry. Mm-hmm. I wasn't into like, you know, the little tarts and things like that. Like I wanted rustic yeah. baking. And yep. so I would go wherever I could and try to find those kind of places, eat their food, peek into their kitchen if I could, talk to the owner. Um, but I was creating this visual catalog. I saw the posting for Blue Bottle. I applied. I wrote this, you know, looking back, I'm sure it was just like so over the top, but it was this <laughs> cover letter that was just my whole backstory. Story yeah. Like how detailed it is. Yeah. It wasn't just like, I would like to come in for an interview. I was like, okay, this is me. This is That's what I've so been cool. doing. And I wrote this big, long thing, got called in for an interview. Um, it was the first time I'd ever stepped into a blue bottle. Um, I got the job. And I remember like waiting for the offer letter and I remember being like, okay, no matter what this dollar amount is, cause I was, I was salary at that point. Yeah. Right. So I was like, whatever this dollar amount is, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I got the dollar amount back. I was like, I don't think that it's going to be okay. I don't know why I'm gonna do, this. <laughs> do you mind me asking what the dollar amount was back then? Like I think it was 12. I think it was $12 an hour job. Okay. That is yeah, good. Yeah, it is good. But you know, it was a big difference for me. Yeah. It was like my my life was going to change in a lot of different ways. And I remember I had this conversation with my dad in the stairwell of the Flatiron building where I was working. And I was like, okay, this is a dollar amount. This is how much money I'll be losing every Mm -hmm. month. I still think I want to do it. Wow. And my dad was like, if you want to do it, if this is going to make you happy, then you should do it. Yeah. And he was like, you never want to live in regret, right? No. And like my parents have always, it's actually been like one of the greatest gifts of my life is that I've had the people in my life who were like chase happy, like Mm. go with your gut. And, um, he was like, I will say if you're going to do this, maybe eventually think about opening your own place. Um, and which is great advice because you go into the experience with the mentality of, I need to learn how to, what I can to, like living intentionally, yes. Yes. Uh, it's really powerful. What year was it when you decided to get out of uh, 2012? 12. Okay, so 2011 is when you started volunteering. 2012 yes. is when you went full into it. Yes. So you spent two years like apprenticing almost kind of. Uh, Probably not even. Yeah. Maybe like a year and a half. Okay. Um, And then um, I accepted the job at Blue Bottle. And then the first day that I was there, I mean, this was also this is how completely naive I was. Like, they were like, come in with kitchen shoes. And I was like, I don't know what kitchen shoes are. I, I, I came in with like those checkered black and white bands, you know? Cause I was like, these are probably slippery. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I showed up and I had, um, the, the other baker that was working alongside me had been with blue bottle since they started a pastry program before that she had worked in tons of kitchens in San Francisco. She was just this super experienced, lovely baker who, um, taught me really how to work in the kind of kitchen that I wanted to work in, which was that she just liked her job. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to stop here. This is a good uh, point to, to stop in. Cause this is also where you met Jeff. Yeah. The first day I was so, there. So, uh, let's kind of start with, like your backup your background story up to this point um i tend to gloss over my background story but i would say 
if you want a brief history of Jeff, it's I was a skater for 20 years, and I was when you're a skater, your whole entire existence is about skateboarding, and nothing else matters. So I didn't really plan for the future. If you, you know, yeah, my future was like, well, I probably won't be a pro skater, so I'll probably join a band to get famous because <laughs> that's worked out a lot, and then or write a book and get famous. I don't know why I always got involved getting famous. That's never open a restaurant. Yeah, famous. no, that's actually naive of me. It's not that I get famous. It's just that all successful writers and band people are yeah. famous. Anyways, um, so you know. Of course, while I was doing all that, I was working in a coffee shop. So, you know, 10 to 13 years in a coffee shop, just pulling shots. And eventually I moved to New York on a whim and I got a job at Blue Bottle through very Where were you before? strange connections. I was in San Francisco, so okay. I grew up in California. Wow. Not everybody makes the, the yeah. trip from west to east. Well, <laughs> it was cheaper to live in Brooklyn at the time that I oh, moved, man. which was crazy. That than is crazy. San Francisco, I mean, yeah, it is strange. Um, so I had some weird connection to Blue Bottle through a couple friends, and then I begged for a job. I got interviewed by what ended up being one of my favorite people named Kathleen, and she hired me. She thought I was great. She's like, you're not a, one of those jerk baristas, are you? I was like, no, and I was. <laughs> you know, not at all. And, um, you know... I just wasn't from that point on, which was great. <laughs> um, and then uh, a manager was leaving randomly, and I was like, I want that job. What is a jerk barista? I'm curious. You know, listen, <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I love baristas, but baristas have a shelf life. Yeah. Like, eventually you own a shop, you fully burn out, yep. or you get out of the industry. Yep. It's just so hard to continually serve well, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily true. With the wrong attitude, it's hard to continually serve people. Yeah. And then, but the thing is, what I've noticed is if you give people a chance, a second chance to change who they are, like, I feel like I've done that a couple times and someone did it for me. You know, they were like, you're not a jerk barista, are you? And I was like, well, no, not going forward, you know? Yeah. Well, I wanted the job so bad that I was like, well, I'm just going to change Really my attitude. that picture. I'm curious though. Like, what was it? What was wrong with your attitude prior to the Blue Apron or Blue oh, Bottle? Man. I don't want to because I want to picture, picture. I want to paint that picture of what we shouldn't be, uh, and then how how you transformed into what is ideal. Uh, okay, I'll try to make this. Conci- <laughs> I'll try to make this concise. Um, I feel like when kind of third wave coffee came around, there was this, and the end of kind of second wave coffee, which is yeah. like this, you know, whole couch culture and refills and stuff like that. I, there was this pretentiousness that came in with coffee. That was kind of like what the wine culture has a little bit. And you end up knowing a lot as a barista yeah. and feeling like you need to share that with everybody. Yeah. And when those people don't care inevitably because no, not everybody cares about coffee, yeah. you look down on them and, you know, make people feel small yeah. for no reason. Yeah. And I think it's like this weird empowering thing. So when was the moment that you, you pivoted away from that? Like what was the moment that, that like as soon as someone was... gave me a chance, yeah. someone was like, you know, it was. Kathleen was interviewing me and she's like, you know, I just, I get nervous about old baristas cause they carry baggage. And I'm like, well, not me. And it was just a chance to start over, to be honest, a chance to start over from being the jerk barista to the, being the, it was just a chance to restart my attitude. So what's that look like? I just was kind and it was so much easier after that. <laughs> how did this, just, I don't understand. Like, did she like paint the picture for you? How did you know what to shoot for? Like, how did you just flip the switch? Like, um, just Sorry, be, I'm, I'm no, really no, like, no, it's fine. Just being <laughs> like, just being nice to people. Yeah. 
Why is that so much better? It's easier. Yeah. Like being mean and looking down on people is so stressful mm. and it try to be mean and pretentious yeah. for six to seven hours a day, every day <laughs> for eight years. It drains you, man. It kills you, man. Yeah. It It's really like, oh, this, this guy doesn't know anything about coffee, whatever, yeah. you know, or whatever <laughs> the problem is at that point. And so, sorry. Well, I was just going to say that I think that there's also a shift that we try to make everybody that works here do, which is like, we don't want them to be coffee facing. We want them to be customer facing. And so I think that's sort of what happened to you is like you stop, you focus more on customer service and the people on the other side of the the counter. Yes, exactly. Not that you don't care, Yeah. but you know, while you're behind bar, you, it's more about the people. Okay, cool. Yeah, so given that chance, I jumped at it, and I really wanted to be part of Blue Bottle because I was from San Francisco. I knew about Blue Bottle, and honestly, it paid a lot better. Um, So you're at Blue Bottle. Uh, When did you first start with Blue Bottle? I'm curious. What year was it? 2011. Okay. Yeah. So you were there for two years uh, prior to Lauren coming on scene. Yeah, which is crazy. No, I was there for a year. A year? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. So... When you came on, you came on as a barista. When did it? No, as a manager? No, no. I came on as a barista. Okay. And then one of their managers was leaving to move back to San Francisco or something like that. And nobody wanted the job, which was crazy at that point. <laughs> no one wanted it. So I just raised my hand. And, you know, I kind of realized then that, that I just need to ask for things. Yeah. And, like, people don't ask for things. Uh, so I asked for it. And she took a real chance because her manager was like who is this guy like you know i don't they you know they're back in san francisco so they were trying to manage a shop in new york and i think they trusted kathleen inherently and i still do she's great (laughs) um but yeah she just took a chance on me and like i started managing and i was taught how to read a pnl i was taught how to do deposits and all you know all that kind of coffee shop managing stuff and um I was really, I thought I was really good at it and I loved it. Mm. I really loved it, which was really weird. What did you weird. love the most about it? Well, f- for one, it's a, it's like a, you get to take a breather from bar. Mm. And I, I don't know, I come from a family of two teachers. So I tried to go into teaching and I just couldn't do it. It might just be the kind of, um, manager pupil thing. I just enjoy, you know, well, imparting earlier, things to people. That yeah, weird, you were talking but. about like uh, the the jerk barista, right? And yeah, you have all this knowledge. Yeah, and then you, we try to share it with people, and when they don't necessarily want it, it's like yeah, uh, like like you go buzz off. But when you have people who are genuinely interested in it, and then you get to share that knowledge, and you get to pass that down, there's very few things, in my opinion, that are as rewarding as like sharing what you know with people who want yes. that knowledge. At a certain point, every barista gets taught, like they no longer derive their their excitement from pouring the perfect latte. Yeah. Like, they're like, what can I do that's going to make me excited? Yeah. And for me, it was like seeing how much money the shop was making and balancing how much we spent here and there and ordering. And I don't know why that makes me happy, but like <laughs> suddenly I was obsessed with spreadsheets yeah. and this weird math side of me that I never really expected to come back, like really came back and I loved it. Okay. So I got really into like the business side of it. Which is weird because I wasn't expecting that. So I want to extract. And you started getting, uh, Lauren. You started talking about this. The things you learned working at Blue Bottle. So each of you like drop like one or two, just like big lessons. The biggest lessons you learned from this experience that you carry with you today. So um, 
I got promoted pretty quickly. The same sort of situation happened to me that happened to Jeff, which was I was working as a pastry assistant. The manager left to move back to San Francisco, and um, I raised my hand, and I was like, I want to learn how to do this. So for me, the biggest thing that happened for me was that I had to learn how to do ordering, had to learn how to do PARs. Had to, I did the hiring when we needed new um people so I also was then responsible for those new hires um and I think for me that was I wasn't going to get that anywhere else I mean with the kind of experience I had I just wasn't going to get it anywhere else but I got to learn how to manage um a kitchen and how to keep a lot of balls in the air how to manage different personalities I think that's a huge thing to try to learn how to do when you haven't done that before um so I think what happened to Jeff was super similar to what happened to me, which is I just, I learned how to do the more business side of it. So you learned the, the, the things that we need to do, but what did you learn about how to be? Like, what did you learn about, I think you must be before you can do. So what did they teach you about how to be? Well, I mean, I really can't say enough good things about Blue Bottle and about the culture that existed while we were there. Um, I think that we've said this before, but I think we're like constantly chasing that culture that, that we felt while we were there. But, um, in terms of how to be, I think everybody there really respected the work that they were doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were all, everybody there was young and, but everybody there took their job really seriously. They, um, were good at what they did. We were really proud of the company that we worked for and, I think that was really important to me because I had worked in other kitchens before where it was sort of like you came in and you did your job and you left and that didn't exist there. Like it was, it really felt like we were running the place as a team. So, um, in terms of like how to be, I think I learned a lot about how to be a team member in the sense that I was on a team with baristas, Mm. which also I hadn't experienced before because in a lot of the kitchens that I worked in, you know, it's New York, it's Brooklyn, your kitchen's in your basement, the the shop runs upstairs. And um, at Blue Bottle, the bar and the kitchen were like five feet from each other, like 10 feet from each other, they were right next to each other. So I learned how to be a manager and how to be a baker along with the front of house, like front of house and back of house had to learn how to work together. Mm. And that's sort of been our entire work relationship between me and Jeff. Cause Jeff's front of house, he runs front of house. I'm back of house. I run back of house and we have to like learn how to manage them together, how to run them together, how to get them to communicate, have everybody be on the same page. So there's a nugget here. So what is the trick about uh, bleeding together the front of house and back of house? What's the key to making those two parts work together? Well, I would say, and I'm sure that you have a different take on this, but we're still learning how to do this because it is such a different, it's such a different thing. But what I think we try to do is to get each department to understand the, the job of the other. Yes. Department. Why is that so important? I think that sometimes it's easy to think that you're working harder, that your job is more difficult mm. than the other person's job. We talk about this all the time. Like you can look, you can be working in in the kitchen and look out front and see two baristas, you know, like talking to a customer and laughing and you're in the middle of lifting up, you know, 50 pound bags of flour and you're like, are you kidding? (laughs) But you can also be in the front of house, you know, and have to have a smile on your face all day and be, you know, dealing with customers and look back and the baristas are listening to Bruce Springsteen and, you know, like they can say whatever they want. Yeah. So I think it's getting each department to understand 
the stresses of the other department. For us, a turning point, I think, was getting the back of house manager and the front of house manager to have meetings where they would be like, look, this is my payroll situation. This is the problem I'm having with this employee and just communicate about both yeah. of them. That's the nugget that I think that we... It's empathy at the end of the day. It's just understanding yes, other perspectives. That's the yeah. word. Yeah. Yes. And um, and I think it's it's like it's a moving target. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, did you want to add any big nuggets that you took away from Blue, a- Blue Bottle? I don't want to say Blue Apron. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They're both Blue good Bottle. companies. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just the environment that was there at that time, that existed at that yeah. time. It felt like all the kids were left alone and no parents were there. And so <laughs> everybody chose to be to act professionally, which meant that we had we got to have a lot of fun together. Yeah. Like if anybody didn't act professionally, it really ruined everything for everybody. So everyone was took their job really seriously. They were really into what they were doing. And in turn, it like allowed a bunch of people to go off and create a bunch of, of different companies to learn how to do that. And we just got to really learn and have fun at the same time, which was very unique. Yeah, you know, I can't believe we're already at like 30 minutes of recording time. It's going by so fast. Uh, I'm curious if you can uh, distill it down to one thing and try to make it quick because I want to make sure we leave plenty of time to talk about what we got going on with Fox in the Snow. Um, what is it about Blue Apron that made everybody... Sorry, friggin' crap. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Blue Bottle. What is it about Blue Bottle that enable them to get people to that culture to have that level of standard of, of, of professionalism was it written down was it just I will un- say was it, like how did that happen at that store at that time I'm just going to speak to that store at that time because that's I don't know how they are now but it was a feeling of ownership and like everybody there felt like they owned that company and we didn't but it felt like it how do you I, and I'll say too at that time the founder of Blue Bottle and his wife it was James and Caitlin Freeman. James would show up and I knew, I think I still look to him a lot in terms of, of owning the company because he, he would show up and you wanted to make him happy. You wanted to make him proud. He was kind. Mm. He talked to everybody. He, at that time he knew everybody's name when he came in. Um, he was the opposite of, he was very humble he would sit in on our managers' meetings. He would listen to everybody. He would look them in the eye. I learned so much about the kind of owner that I wanted to be mm. from watching him. So I also think that there was a sense of, you know, I want to do a good job for these people. Yeah, you got to give before you get, right? Yeah. Um, how many times did I say Blue Apron before you guys? Maybe. Oh, no. You've corrected yourself every time. Okay, You're cool. You're fine. All right. So let's move on to you have a vision to do your own thing. When did that vision come into frame? Like, why did it come into frame? I had the I had the vision first um, in the sense that I thought I was going to do it um, with a family member. I thought I was going to do it um, before I went to Blue Bottle before I met Jeff. So I, um, I think my personality is sort of like, I, I find something that I like and then I try to figure out how I can do like the most extreme version yeah. of it. So I got really into baking. I was like, okay, how can I run my own shop? Very naively. Um, <laughs> but I was, had this file folder in my head of places that I thought were beautiful, pastry I thought was beautiful. I was trying out those kind of things in my apartment at home. I was trying to learn as much as I could about how to make them. Um, and then when I met Jeff before, like right when we first started having a conversation about dating or being with each other, I think we went out to a bar and I was like, just so you know, 
I'm probably going to leave Brooklyn. I'm probably going to move back to Columbus and I'm going to open a bakery. Right. And, um, at that point we were still like very early on. And I think it would have been insane for me to be like, do you want to come with me? And for him to say, I'll come with you. But then maybe not even that long, maybe four months later, I came back to Columbus for my, for something, for some kind of family event. And the city had changed a lot from when I, I went to undergrad at Ohio State. And then the city had changed a lot from when I had been here. And I thought that the timing was right for the kind of shop that I knew existed in New York and Brooklyn. I thought that kind of place would really do well here. Mm-hmm. And the timing was just like so much of everything is timing, but the timing just felt so right. And I went back and we got a drink and I was like, I really think that now is the time to pull the trigger, which was difficult because we were really happy in New York. I think we thought we'd be there for at least another 10 years. Um, But I was like, I really think that now's the time. And Jeff was like, I know you haven't asked me, but I would do this with you. Yeah. Which, you know, was so exciting for me to hear. You wanted to ask, but you didn't want to. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But. Uh, and then he was like, I think we should do it. And then we, from that day on, we booked tickets to come to Columbus. Jeff had never been to Columbus. Booked tickets to come to Columbus. Um, started talking about, we would sit outside. I remember I have this super visceral memory of sitting outside um, Buttermilk Channel in, in Brooklyn and going through my phone and being like, I have hundreds of images of shops that I like and pastry that I like and going through with him. And, and it was, it felt so amazing because I would look at it and Jeff would be like, yes, yes, yes. Like it was very clear from the beginning that we had the same vision of the kind of shop that we wanted to open. And then we just started coming up with, I mean, we literally Googled, I Googled business plan template. Like, (laughs) you know, like we really, this was super grassroots. And we just started talking about the kind of shop that we wanted what we would do, um, Jeff started coming up with super, super conservative projections. Um, our model, the only real model that we had were the P&Ls from Blue Bottle. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, we'll, we'll take our expectations way lower than yeah. that. We'll start here. Um, these are the kind of pars we're going to do. Um, and then we came back to Columbus and we just started meeting with. So what year did you, did you come back? 2000, 2013? So that was 13. And what that was the was summer it? of 13. Summer? It, it was okay. summer. And, um, we like came up with the name, we came up with the menu, we came up with a bunch of images to show to people that we thought would want to invest. And um, and then we just set a deadline. We were like, okay, after Thanksgiving, we're leaving New York. Yeah. And we're going to move back to Columbus and we're just going to commit. Okay. Um, and so that's what we did. I mean, it was really... So you were put you put this together this portfolio. You're showing it to investors. Did you have a goal, uh, an amount you wanted to hit from the investors, or were you taking whatever you could get? <laughs> I mean, with investors, you take whatever you can yeah. get. But uh, no, there was a goal. We had a we had um what we thought it would take. Of course, that was completely wrong. It's probably double that. What do you think it would take? Um, I think originally we thought it would take two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but I also think. You know, originally we also, the business plan was we were going to open an 800 square foot, yeah. tiny little shop. And like we, it was, was it like 2,400 square feet. Is that? Oh, that's what we ended up yeah, with 2,400 yeah. square feet. And even then, you know, 2,400 square feet is where we could easily run that shop with 35. Yeah. So, but the, I mean, 
that's why sometimes I was even talking to somebody a couple days ago about a business plan and I was like, you know, a business plan is a good place to start. But for us, we ended up so far away from yeah. where that business you plan You got to start was. someplace. You got to yes. just start. And once you start writing things down, like it will morph, but yes. the trick is to start. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but we did, we tried to take whatever we could get, but in the end we ended up getting all of our financing, um, from one person. So, um, so how'd you go about approaching investors? Is there a lesson here, uh, advice you can give? Use the resources that are available to you. Like, uh, we, we ended up, uh, investing with someone who, or someone came in and invested in us who is now a one third partner. Okay. Um, but you know, a lot of the people who started businesses that I know will just their customers, they would talk to their customers and they would recognize, Oh, this customer has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll talk to him about investing mm-hmm. in my, my company. So what did you mean by re- use the resources that you, that you have? What resources were you using? So, I mean, <laughs> we still try to do this to a certain extent, which is like, I know this person, I've talked to this person about something I might want to do. I'm going to sit down with this person and just say, you know, can I, can I have your counsel on this? I, this is what I'm looking at. A lot of the time we weren't going in and saying, this is the amount of money that we want. Yeah. But we'd go in and we'd say, this is what we want to do. This is about how much we think it's going to cost. Can you point us in the direction? Yeah, that's a cool approach. Not necessarily coming out and saying, like, will you help us yes. with the money, but will you help us with your knowledge? And like, yes. you get them invested by sharing their information with you. And then it's it, then they, they start naturally getting interested. Yes. It's like Jeff was saying, what, if you want something, ask. And I think that that is 100% true. But I also think that there's like a roundabout way to do that too and a lot of the time you know um for us we do it now too where we'll say we're looking for another building we're gonna put that out there and all these things will pop up because people didn't they're like oh i didn't know you were looking you know yeah and you just assume that people know yeah so for us a lot of it too was we need we need money we're ready to do this and they're like oh i didn't know you needed that much or i didn't know you were this far along in the process i want to stop and just put emphasis on putting it out there there's so much power in just putting your intentions into the world Uh, i wouldn't be sitting here in front of you if i didn't put my intentions into the world i said hey guys i want to take the podcast on the road you know if if anybody's out there listening to this uh you know you have a a floor i can sleep on like a roof a bed maybe or a couch would it be great like let me know uh but i was prepared to sleep out of my car but i put it out there Mm -hmm. and i'm like it just started flooding in. People were like, oh, if you're out in Columbus and blah, blah, blah. Yes. And like, it, you got to put it out there because 100%. nobody knows. No, they're what not reading thinking. your mind. Exactly. I mean, everybody, it's, it's, it's just a reality that everybody's thinking about themselves. Yeah. But if I, if, if I'm like, this is what we want or this is what we need, mm-hmm. you're right that when, especially when you're like, this is what I need, a lot of the time people are like, I'm more than happy to help you. Um, so we still try to do that. I think we, you know, you want to be discreet when it comes to certain things, but at the same time, you're like, I, I feel like we're at a place now where I'm like, we need to probably do the next round of this, which is sit down with people and be like, this is our 10 year projection. Mm-hmm. This is what we eventually want to end up with, you know, um, and just be super upfront with it. But why wouldn't people want to invest in what you've got going on? Because you're, you've been successful mm-hmm. and it, it seems like a good investment. Mm-hmm. So. All right, so 2014 is when you opened. You came back to Columbus after the holidays, around mm-hmm. the holidays. Yes. Um, what was your biggest challenge at that point, trying to get open? Um, well, our original biggest challenge was finding a building. That was that continues to be our biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it was super important that it had a parking lot and it was a standalone building. Mm-hmm. And there's so much growth happening in Columbus right now that it's nearly impossible, unless you're a developer, to find these unique buildings. Yeah. 
we had lost out on, we thought it was our dream building. We lost out to this huge developer. We were just crushed. And I was like, screw this. I'm going to look somewhere where no developers looking. And I went to Craigslist and I looked under garages for rent and I nice. found this one. It had no picture. <laughs> and, um, it just said like garage for rent. And I knew the street and I called the woman and she was so, so nice. And I was like, I'm just going to put this out there. We're opening a bakery. I want to turn this garage into a bakery, into a cafe. And she was like, I have one question for you. Are you going to make banana bread? <laughs> like she was just so <laughs> – and then she ended up being like the kindest, nicest person. And um, uh, we went and we checked it out. It was – I mean when we were we were, na- we were naive to take the building because we signed this lease for what felt like the rest of our lives. And the garage – I mean it was a garage with mm-hmm. like dirt floor, no heat. Um, there was like a toilet in the middle. Like it was a garage. <laughs> and we walked in and we were like, yep, this is it. Like we could see where everything was going to go. And then almost every penny that we had from investor, from our investor went into. So into how much money did you have your in, in your checking account the day you opened? I'm curious. Our personal checking yeah. account? I mean, truly, <laughs> like when people are like, I'm broke. We're like, no, we have been. I mean, we were living at my mom's house. Yeah. We would, we were those people where like we wouldn't open the bill because we didn't know, we went, didn't want to know yeah. what it said, you know? I mean, it was the most broke I've ever been in my life. It was truly, truly bad. Oh, we man. had side jobs. I worked at a restaurant. Jeff delivered food, like, uh, like one, like a grocery delivery yeah. service. Okay. I looked at my bank account once during that time and it actually said one cent and I like laughed out loud and I took a picture of it. Cause I thought it was, I was like, wow, this is uh, yeah. the brokest you could, <laughs> the brokest you could be without owing something, yeah. which I felt pretty proud of. Oh man, I can count on my hand, like more, probably I can't count on my, on my hands how many times like I've witnessed or experienced that just trying to get this podcast going. So, but I think it's really important that we cover this because you're going to, you're going to be put up against it and you're going to have to really flirt with like the edge of like bankruptcy and just emotional like am I crazy and like what am I doing and you've got to ask yourself am I willing yeah am I willing to go there am I willing to put myself in this position to make this happen because you you will likely have to put yourself in that position but I think most people who do this type of thing would look at that one penny and be like I would be crazy not to do this yeah like what do you have to lose yeah what do I have to lose this one cent what do I have to gain never working for someone again yeah like or hopefully who knows (laughs) don't jinx it right yeah um okay so what was oh man what you guys have a hard stop at 11 right no okay um so you you you're set on the location uh you start to build out you put all of your money into this one location uh any like experiences from that uh that you're, you're blindsided with that you can share with us to maybe give our listeners an idea of what they might have to experience i mean i think for me and i feel like it even happened for us with uh, with our second location which was I was not prepared to go through the hoops that you have to go through with the city, right? Like, I don't think when you're when you're budgeting, it's easy to say, like, well, the kitchen's going to cost me this yeah. much. The heating and air conditioning is going to cost me this much. What you're not budgeting for is, you know, the $1,200 you're going to spend on an engineer mm. or the $800 you're going to spend on your um, permit to start construction. It's like all of these other little tiny things for us. We ended up with things where like the city came to us and they said, you know, you're going to have to make sure the sidewalk has um, a wheelchair ramp. That's $3,000. You're going to have to make sure this 
street goes this way, you're going to have to buy all the one-way signs. That's $700. And it's just when you don't have any money. This is how $200,000 quickly becomes $400,000. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, you never put in your business plan, I budget $3,000 to expand the pipe from the city to the size pipe of water that I need to go into my business. That's something that never crosses your mind. So anyone who's listening, if you're making a business plan, budget another 25% of what you think you're going to spend on your build out budget, another 25% just for crazy stuff happening. Yeah. Cause you will 100% use that. You will always use that 25%. If if you're opening in the kind of buildings that we're opening. I mean, again, it was a garage Yep. and this building that we're in right now, it's a hundred year old movie theater. Like the, you know, <laughs> we, we know when we step into these, the kind of problems we're going to have, but they're, they're the not glamorous things. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you have these challenges, you overcame them. What was it like opening? Like how, I mean, did you have a vision of what you wanted to be? Uh, like what, like, man, where do we go from here? I know. Potential? So, that's how it feels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I guess just, just take it like you're opening. What's going on? Like what's going through your head? We so we opened. I opened with one baker. It was me and one baker. Mm-hmm. Jeff had three baristas, and we just assumed that we would be there from three thirty in the morning until as long as we needed to be there. So we were there open to close, and we kept payroll as tiny as we could. We I budgeted on. I was like, okay, we'll make twenty egg sandwiches a day. We can, I can do that. We'll make 20 scones a day. You know, like our numbers were super, super low. We opened and we did a soft open. We had no sign. We didn't put it on Instagram. We didn't put it on Facebook. We opened the door. We sold out of every single thing by 9 a.m. So how did everybody, like, that's a good point. Uh, why did you keep it quiet? Why was it a silent opening? Well, we, we thought, we knew there were things that we were unprepared for. Yeah. Like we didn't. We didn't know how the shop was going to run. We didn't. We th- we were like, we think the line will form this way, but it might not. We yeah. think people will buy this, but so we just wanted to give ourselves a buffer. But then we never got it. So we opened. We sold out of everything at nine. I literally nine a.m. Nine a.m. What time did you open? Seven. Seven. Wow. Sold out of everything at nine a.m. I would walk back into the kitchen and I would start making. I mean, we because it was me and one other person who I could only keep for forty hours. Yeah. I would walk back in the kitchen. We would make the pastry for the next day. Like we would never catch up. Yeah. So then the next day we made like a little bit more sold out at like 10. Yeah. Next day we sold out like 1030. Yeah. And like we just kept doing that. And I think we were still too terrified to hire anybody because we thought, well, this is probably just, this is just the opening exactly. like, fluke. Yeah, exactly. But then we ended up being there from three thirty in the morning until like nine thirty at night. Oh, wow. Um, and we went and we sat down with our accountant the first month we were open and we sat down and she was, she, she was like, you guys look like you're going to die. She was like, <laughs> you need to hire somebody today. Yeah. Um, and she said, you're a month in, your numbers keep going up. You can, you, you can, can look at the trend yes, and like project, like just hire more people. And so we hired one more person. Okay. And then like two months later we hired one more person. So when you were hiring more people and putting them into roles, how were you prioritizing what they would be doing to be, I guess, to make the most sense for for you and, and the business? Were you just like, like slowly, does that make sense? Like yeah. you just know. put them in the place where you need them the most. And okay. I think what was really great was that, well, for one, that Columbus responded the way it did to yeah. us and they just flooded us, which was great. But 
also that all of the people that we opened with found little holes to fill. They found little places to be and they filled their own roles out. And um, three of those four people are still here with us today, oh, wow, which amazing. is crazy because most of those people like had to chip wood and like painted our doors and like did a bunch of crazy stuff that you would never ask a barista to do. Yeah. So you just, you just hire where you think it's going to be the most effective and that's, and hope for the best and then keep working 18 hours. Man, like there's so many questions I want to ask, but I can't ask them all at once. So it's like hard to choose where to go to next. So, uh, as you're growing this team, like what are you looking for in people, uh, like, were there a lot of applicants? Like, how did you grow the team, I guess? To, in- well, answering from my side, I just tried to hire hire really kind people because mm. uh, you can't train kind. Yeah. And then you'd train them to be a barista. Mm-hmm. But I, I was hiring... Um, I would hire... A lot of mine was word of mouth in mm. the beginning. So... Um, I hired somebody from word of mouth, and then I don't think we posted for a job for a very long time. Um, I think we were still really protective of of what we had, and I. What I, do you mean by that? Protective of what you have? Um, I think we still are actually, but I think that we, you know, now we get a, a lot of applicants for a job that we're posting for, and um, I think sometimes we pick we don't pick the person that has the most experience, or we don't pick the person who's you know, fits the job the best, but we pick the person cause we're like you, you're the kind of person that we want to work with. Um, or you're the kind of person that I can see becoming a manager, you know? And so I think we were really protective of also, you know, we were, Jeff and I were making a lot of mistakes at that point in the sense that like we were still learning, we were still like trying to figure out our vendors. We were still trying to figure out our numbers. You know, people were working with us. We were probably not in our our best selves yeah. after we had been working, you know, that yeah. many hours 16 and, hour days. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that you're really protective of the vulnerability that you're, that you're putting out there at yeah. that time. And so there are only certain people that you want to, to bring into that, that, that kind of environment. Interesting. So, uh, Eventually, you guys had to transition out of being in the business every day. Yeah. Uh, and you did it relatively quickly. Well, yes. I mean, it's, Four years later from the day you opened. So what did that transition of, of scaling, what did scaling your business look like inside the business? Not necessarily like scaling out, like outward, yeah. like laterally, yeah. but like growing within. Like what did that look like? So somebody that we really respect in the industry had told us that before you ever think about physically expanding, um, build on the back end, like build your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, and then teach all your managers to hire their replacement. So what does that infrastructure look like? What did that look like for you? So for us, it looked like, I, you know, it was really important to me that I could hire a kitchen manager that was going to, I think I always try to hire people who are better than me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I was like, I'm going to hire a kitchen manager who has the kind of eyes that I do, but who's also going to come in and like take the kitchen to the next mm. level. Um, and then when she hires somebody, I want her to hire somebody that has the same standards as her or is a better baker mm. than her, you know, like hire somebody that when you, Lifts if you, you step away, will step up. Mm. So, um, you're talking about infrastructure with the people. Yes, yes. Um, what about infrastructure with like the actual systems? How did that look? Um, well, I think the systems follow the people, honestly. Like I I hired people who, I mean, my ma- my main manager who I hired uh, in the beginning, you know, he walked in, he was like, you need me. 
you know and honestly i did like he knows more about coffee than i do he knows you know he's very organized so um with those manager hires came the systems that they've brought i mean he has more than 10 years of coffee experience Mm -hmm. and you know me and him sat down and we worked out the systems that could be replicable be specific Uh, what specific systems did he bring to the table that you wouldn't have known of otherwise oh boy i mean he's way better at ordering than i am like i can't project ordering out to save my life Mm -hmm. i ran out of coffee the first year once (laughs) and it was after that point where i was like you have to you have to order i can't do this what did he did he like create a system around ordering or like how did he do that differently i don't know you know it's it's um yeah i'm gonna be honest and say (laughs) that's why you hire people who are better than you you hire people that get the heck out of the way are better than you And, (laughs) and honestly in a lot of ways there's little technical aspects about this shop that yeah. I that I don't know how to do right now, mm-hmm. but he does, and and he's taught a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And without that, your 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 ship is sunk. Mm-hmm. Like you need those people who can take your lead, and they don't mind doing the things you know, like wiring our registers. Yeah. Like for a second shop, I was like, I I forgot how to do this. Yeah. And he wired all our registers like where we're sitting right now, which is crazy. I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. Um, you know, so there's a lot of backend work that gets done by really talented managers and they go unsung mostly, Mm -hmm. but also he's hired so many good people. And one of our problems, and so is, so is our bakery manager. She hires fantastic people. And one of our big problems is we have a backlog of really talented people who are really deserving of a lot. So, so, backlog of really t- talented people who are deserving of a lot. So people who are on your team already who deserve that's, a lot. That's vague. I would say that there's at least three or four people that I would hand a shop over to right now. Yeah. If I, it, it, it makes me want to grow faster. Cause I'm that's like, it's a good problem to have. I think yes. that is what that, uh, growing, like we're like growing your people and opportunities for your people is one thing that determines growth. I think the other thing is cash flow. Uh, your cash yes. determines your growth, how much cash you have in the bank. And also like, do I have, I think a lot of people get in trouble. They get the cash maybe from investors or they're doing good and they haven't quite grown their people to the point where yes. they're ready to, to grow from within and like take their people and put them into the next opportunity. Uh, so is that what determined your growth? Do you think that was trying to I find mean, opportunities? We set, we set on, two extra managers for an entire year last year because we couldn't get the shop open quick enough. Yeah. And they were just co-managers kind of. So um, I don't want to put words into the most of this. Let me ask you this. Ahead, like, yeah. um, when did you know it was time for the second location? Uh, very early on, probably early 2015. And how did you know? Well, I mean, I think we started having pretty significant lines out the door pretty early. Um, we didn't have anywhere for people to sit. Um, the shop, I mean, at a certain extent, like you're, you, we talk about this a lot, like, um, how much you can make every day you reach a max, like the shop just can't hold any more people. Um, and so I think once we were continuously hitting that dollar max at Mm -hmm. the end of every day and we were building up our bank account, that was when it was pretty obvious to us. And our model is, is, that it's a neighborhood cafe. So, um, I think we knew that it could probably, we felt like it could fit in different neighborhoods. And, um, 
we're still at the point with our original location where we people come up to us all the time and they're like, oh, I drove by on Saturday, but the line was so long I turned around and I left. <laughs> you know, so we I think once you know that you're turning customers away, you've reached a dollar plateau, you have the money in the bank and you have the people. Mm-hmm. It was but the night the the part where we lucked out was that all of that happened to us within the first year of mm-hmm. us opening. So for the second location, did you go to your investor again or did you have did you earn the cash and did you put that in the bank? Like what determined both. It? Both. Okay. And we didn't have a, a bank loan for the first location and um not that I even think that we probably could have gotten one, but then we could go to a bank with the second location and be like, look, this is this yeah. is our business plan. These are our numbers. Yeah, like, these are our numbers. Um, we felt pretty confident we could get be a legit. substantial loan. Yes. Give us the money. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, with in terms of our original investor, I think he knew that we were cash positive, that the business made money. Um, and so going back to him and saying, like, do you want to reinvest in this? Um, that was a pretty easy discussion yeah. to have. Um, and, and then the money that, that the original location had made. I think an important thing to note for people who are trying to open a business and get a small business loan is that you will not get it unless you have two years Mm. of receipts and 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 positive cash flow and tax returns, which seems counterintuitive to a small business loan. But, uh, that's how banks work. Yeah. And I did not know that we went, yeah, that's true. Large banks. We went at a year and a half and they were like, I don't know. And we had, and I was like, are you kidding me? Look at these P and L's. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's just how it is. So, so what was, what's the lesson there? Like this, like the lesson is like bootstrap your first shop. Yeah. If you're like, I'm going to build an empire, like your first shop, like get your hammer and your saw out or yeah. whatever, you know, like build your first shop on anything you can and then make it work. Proof of concept. Yeah. Then go to a bank. And honestly, yeah, if you want to go to a large bank, you're gonna to have to wait two years yeah. and show them how um, how well you're doing. Okay, so um, so you you decide it's time to open the second location. You plan on opening that location of the summer of 2017. Didn't happen till winter of 2018. Uh, what happened there? Well, I mean, our we're suckers for <laughs> these like old, beautiful yeah buildings. Start yeah. coming left and right. Yes. Yeah, and. Um, I think that we we have a lot of vision. Like I think we can both walk into a space. I think it's one of the strengths of our partnership is that we can walk into a space and we're both like clearly can see the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're getting better at is saying, okay, well, where's the electrical panel going? Yeah. Where's our backflow going to yep. go? You know, and those kind of things, I think... When you talk about blackflow, you're talking about the queue, the line? Backflow, like your water. Oh, okay. You know, like yeah. all of these things that are, again, like See, super un- Learning new things all the time. That's yeah. why I'm here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's so... It's... The kitchen part is fun and easy yep. because you know how to do it. The bar part, fun and easy. And then there's like this whole other side of your business that's not pretty, that's not fun. It's hard. Mm. You have to have somebody else come in and explain it to you. But so go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, our original vision was to build a shop for $200,000. And this is why your budget explodes because you're like, I'm just going to build a bar and then I'm going to bake some stuff. Um, What happens is someone comes in, they're like, okay, um, you need air conditioning. And you're like, oh, yeah, this building needs air conditioning. <laughs> and someone comes in, they're like, well, you need two bathrooms. And you're like, oh, yeah, bathrooms. And they're like, that means we're oh, going to that, having this, that having means this we're gonna have to drill like all the cement up and then put pipes in. And you're like, oh, 
Um, and this is stuff you don't know. I so. want to create a checklist. I want to like have this checklist yeah. where people, uh, my listeners and past guests, like contribute to like all the things that they didn't expect, and have like a literally like checklist where you can go down and be like, okay, didn't think about that. Like, yes. you know, like check all the things like off the box. Half of your budget will go to things that Email no me. customer could see. Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable right now. The things you didn't like expect that happened that would be a really cool like yeah. crowdfunded list right all right yeah. sorry just no just i mean into my head. ac water and what's the other one electric all of those things your customer will never appreciate and you're gonna spend so much money on oh yeah awesome but that, i mean that's really uh, the building is why it took so long if we had gone into a strip mall we could have opened on time okay cool so anything uh that we like didn't discuss uh, hindsight being twenty twenty opening your second location that you did differently because of the experience opening the first location. Can you repeat that? Anything that you would have that you did differently opening your second location because of the experience you had opening the first location, you can share with us. I think that we we definitely staffed appropriately. Yep. You know, I I when we when we opened the first location, I remember I was talking to the kitchen equipment guy and he was like you'll really want two ovens and i remember leaving and thinking this guy is really trying, trying to, to upsell, upsell me, me. Yeah, yeah like what a jerk I, there's no way i would ever need two ovens um it was one of the biggest mistakes that we made was underestimating our space and mm. underestimating our product this space here or the over first there? one okay yeah so like our biggest problem over there is the kitchen's too small Couldn't we have one volume. oven yeah. we could have had a huge walk-in freezer, you know, but we just didn't think that we would yeah. be doing the numbers and the volume that we do. The other thing about having the backup or having a second oven is it's a backup in case yes. the first one goes down. Yeah. But so. I remember just thinking like that was so excessive. There's yeah. no way. So for the second location, we were like, we're going to have a huge walk-in freezer. We're going to have two of everything, yeah. you know, like, and we were lucky enough to have the capital to do that. But the first location, we underestimated how many people were going to walk in the door. Yeah. And we definitely didn't do that with this. Good problems to have. Yeah. You have to underestimate that, though, your first time, though. If you overestimate it, yeah, you, you build a mansion, a yeah. just beautiful shop, yeah. and then no one comes in, you're, you doubly, want that problem. you're doubly screwed. That's a good problem. You it, want, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's a good problem to have, which is my yeah. least favorite. It's better to be in that position where you have, than be in the position where you have all this overhead, all these expenses, yep. and not the cash flow to handle it. Yeah. So you want that cash flow to be what determines your yeah. growth. So you're better Bootstrap off. It. Yeah, you're better off under going, being conservative and hoping that like you you have more than what you can handle also, because that determines your growth. Also, like know where to like look at your spreadsheets, look where your money is coming from. That is where you should put money back into. Like mm. what we didn't Give know. Me an example. For, so big example is like we're gonna make twenty sandwiches a day. We make upward up to four hundred four hundred sandwiches a day at one of our shops. Wow. So we put that's one right. oven in there yeah. with like one person to run it. And <laughs> the bakers were, were yeah, the bakers it. were doing it, which is crazy. And then, you know, so now we're like, okay, we're going to give the sandwiches their own kitchen. Yep. And we staffed it appropriately. Those sandwiches are off the hook, by the yeah. way. They're good. I'm getting they're one before paying. I leave. <laughs> they're, they're like paying our mortgage at, the, oh, at man, this point. so good. But I think like one of the, the other best pieces of advice that we got was from our accountant. And she was like, let the business decide what the business wants to be. Mm. Like you might think it's a coffee shop your customers might decide that it's a bakery or vice versa, you know? So what we weren't anticipating was that our customers decided that it was an egg sandwich shop, yeah. you know? And, uh, so should have made those egg sandwiches so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think that that was a huge 
lesson for us was, you know, you can say like, we're going to do, it's going to look like this and the line's going to go like this and customers are going to do this. Let the customers decide. Yeah. Almost everything. They'll tell you what to lean into. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even to a certain extent, we decide, <laughs> we might vary <laughs> opinions about this, but even to a certain extent, we, I have conversations all the time about. Jeff was just making a face for yeah. those of you can't, you can't see what's happening. <laughs> but I d- we have a conversation a lot of the time about like customers like their pastry to be a certain color and it might not be where like textbook pastry, yeah. you know, cooks will will be like that is so underdone but i'm like no we're making a product for our customers Mm -hmm. like you have to listen to them but your face you know my only let it out uh no no no. and (laughs) maybe this is the old jerk barista coming back but like to a certain extent you have to listen to your customers to a certain extent you need to bring something to your customers that they haven't seen before so you know you gotta show your customers what they want yeah like, like oh maybe you guys want this and I think a lot of the times that works, but you can't lean too far yeah, each way. There is some truth to that because you can take the the uh, Ford quote, right? Like if I gave my customers what they wanted, I would have created faster horses or something yep. like that. I can't remember exactly what the wordage is on that quote. But sometimes you got to show your customers uh, what they didn't even know was possible. Yeah. You know, and I like mean, in a much smaller scale, yeah. we did that. I remember trying to explain to my mom that we were going to have one size mm-hmm. coffee. We weren't going to have flavors. We weren't going to have refills and we weren't going to have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. you know? And I remember my mom being like, well, that's not going to work here. Yeah. You know, like people are used to a certain thing. And so I do think, you know, we try to not compromise in some areas, but in other areas. Yeah. Okay, we're, I can't believe we're already an hour and seven minutes into this conversation. Um, I want to make sure that there isn't anything that hasn't been put on the table yet that's like maybe in the back of your mind that you're, you're holding on to. Uh, is there any thoughts you've, been, you've had up to this point that you want to get out before we go to the speed round? I only had one thought, and it was when we were talking about Blue Bottle and, and, and good advice that people have given us. James at Blue Bottle was kind enough to sit down with us before we opened our shop, and I think one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten from anyone was to not listen to anyone. This is after telling us that, you know, we should probably shorten our name, which, you know, a lot of people did, not just him. Um, but then he was like, you know what? Don't listen to anybody. Mm. Like, follow follow. Why your is gut. that so important? Because if you listen, if you try to please everyone, you please no one. Mm. I mean, it's one of those things. Yep. But I, I think also you're not, we always talk about how, like, we want to build a place that we want to visit, yeah. you know? So we try not to compromise on some of those things. Um, and also you want it to feel authentic. Mm. So if you're not listening to yourself, then, you know, you're just trying to either have a copycat shop or a shop that won't look good in five years. Yeah. You know, there's a certain truth to both sides. I feel like a lot of people say, listen to what the market wants, start with what the market needs and work back. But on the other side, I've seen a lot of successful people. I've interviewed a lot of successful people that were creating something that was an extension of who they were. It's their Mm -hmm. personal brand extended into the the business yeah. and when you have to show up pulling 14 hour days in the beginning and uh you need it to to be uh an expression of who you are because yeah. like that's that that's self-actualization that's that that's you finding your purpose in your community and serving your community and it, it has to have that you know not trying to be something that is a concept but you just you just doing you yeah and you're you know that i i think that's really important too and, and like where do you I, you get both sides of it you hear both the like, both pieces of advice like create what the market wants you know, do you don't listen to anybody else. So, yeah. well, and I also, I mean that since we're married and yeah. this is 
like this is our our livelihood it's our life it's where we spend we we see our employees more than we see our families you know like it has to feel like the kind of place that we want to put our heart into we want to risk our livelihood on you want to put all your money into yeah. so yeah, but I, I think the power of doing something that, that's a, an extension of who you are it's much easier showing up every day to be who you are and your guests can sense yes. that you're being who you are and there's it's hard to put value in authenticity uh, because people want real today yes. and, and the, the transactional uh, fake world that we live in uh, people can smell that shit from a mile away mm-hmm. and I think that we're, we're, we're leaning towards uh, genuine transformative real authentic relationships I agree um, so I think it's good it's good it's a good problem to have so I if I had to lean in one direction I would say be yourself do your thing yes um, maybe there's some people out there that would disagree with me Always. <laughs> I'm just talking from my heart. Uh, anyway, anything else? Because that was that was Jeff's thing. Did you did you have anything at the tip of your tongue you wanted to drop on us before we go to the speed round? Which is going to have to be a legit speed round. I always say that. Almost never happens. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, if you guys are good to go on to the speed round, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. All right, we're back. 
in the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? And I'm going to make both of you guys answer this one because this is more personal, not the restaurant, but the person. So starting with Jeff, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think I hit this early on. Uh, For me, it's just determination. Like most people could do what anyone does, but it really takes showing up every day and just doing it. Mm. And... Lauren, what's your it factor? Um, I'm really confident in my vision in the sense that, like, I know how I feel like I know how something should look, and I'm really sure that I know that that's how mm. it should look. Whether it's like pastry, whether it's like the menu, the the seats, like I I know it in my gut that like this is what something should look like, and that confidence is is really great. Beautiful. I'm also really good at teaching myself how to do something. Awesome. I knew that's which what is you really were going to answer for me. Which is really important yeah. uh, in this industry because like, you got to be a jack of all trades. Um, okay. Uh, what is your biggest weakness, Jeff? Biggest weakness. weakness. I, my biggest weakness, fortunately, is covered by Lauren. I, I, I sometimes don't know exactly what something should look like. I, I, my biz- biggest weakness is that I, I wanted to be the artist between the two of us and I realized I kind of am not so uh, I appreciate having so a partner seeing the end product yeah okay and Lauren what's your biggest weakness mine is covered by Jeff and mine is um, minutia so <laughs> he's laughing because he knows it's so true but mine is you know um making the phone call to the bank, sending in our 1099s, you know, like all of those like, tiny yeah. little things. Um, oh, I right don't like doing them yeah. and I, I'm really bad at it. And, and Jeff is really good at it. Cool. And you guys are bringing up a huge point right now is finding like the power of finding somebody who counters your, your, your weaknesses and your, your strengths and having that balance and getting lanes, getting your lanes, staying in your lanes and knowing where you belong is so, so important. I don't, wanted to mention that earlier, but I forgot to. Don't get into business with anyone that you wouldn't have a kid with. Like, seriously, don't. <laughs> it's so true. And that's that's something that uh, Dave Query from Big Red F said. Is like, when you're finding a business partner, before you commit to that partnership, am I willing to marry this person? Yeah. Even if you're not really married. But yes, because like, it's like that. Because, yeah, you're, you're getting into a business marriage. Yeah. And that's how you got to look at it. Uh, what's one question or thing you look for during the interview? When you're, when you're growing that team, what are you looking for? For me, it's really important that someone has been here before, which is, you know, ironic that I say that having, like I showed up at Blue Bottle not having been to a Blue Bottle, but if somebody comes into our shop and says, you know, I've had a good experience here, I this is what I feel like when I'm here and I want to contribute to that, that's what I look for. Okay. Somebody walks in and, and, and I say, have you been here before? And they say, no, but I've heard about it. it you know, so much of what we do is culture and it's, it is, it's experience and if you aren't familiar with that, then I, you know, yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, which is worth re-mentioning here, uh, hire people that are going to lift you up. Yeah. Some way, some form. Yeah. Do you want to add to that, Jeff? Um, just be genuine. Like I only want to hire genuine people. Awesome. Even if it's, you're angry, that's genuine. I dig it. And, uh, Somebody had recently pointed out that I say awesome way too much. Now, whenever I say it, I think I'm just going to lean into my awesome. I say amazing awesome. too much. I, I just love the word. Aw- like, it's like my, my way of saying, um, uh, <laughs> or like, like it's like how I acknowledge somebody. I don't know. But if you guys notice it, like, I don't think it's going anywhere. So just, just accept it for what it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's a current challenge? How are you dealing with it? 
Cheese. It's like, what? <laughs> Pick one of the 100 <laughs> current challenges. Which current challenge do you think would help most, most people if you had to offer advice on current challenge? Or any, just to pick any. Uh, so the thing that I'm currently obsessed with is expansion. Okay. So going from one to two is seems impossible. Yeah. Going from two to three, a little less impossible. And then going from three to like So what part of that is challenging? Is, seems crazy. Um, rep, like letting, taking the roof off of the house you live in. Like making sure that you're not thinking too small. Mm. I was going to say, you know, for us too, it's it's being strategic about it because I think when you have something that's successful, it's you'll get you know a bunch of people who are like, I want to invest. I want you to open one here. I want you to open one here. I want you to open one here. And it's and you have to say no a lot of times. And James Freeman, when he sat down with us before we opened, he he said say no to almost everything. And we really took that to heart, and I think we do say no to like almost everything. And plus, like every time you say yes to something, you gotta ask yourself, what does this mean? I'm saying no to because when you say yes to something, that's a bunch of things you're gonna be forced into saying no to. That's true. So you gotta look at it that way. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts finished? Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. These are core values, beliefs, uh, ways to be. Oh, go ahead. This is your whole... I mean, for me, it's just be genuine. Like, if you're having a bad day and someone comes up to the register and they're like, how you doing? You're like, you know what? I've been better, but how are, you know, how are things with you? Like, <laughs> be genuine. Like, I hate robotic service so much. And, you know, it doesn't mean be mean. It doesn't mean be a jerk. It just means be who you are. And, like, that seeps into every part of business. Like, if you are who you are, and your your um your employees are who they are like everyone will will walk in and feel like they're in a familiar environment what's uncommon oh did you want to add to that yeah i did i okay. want to i want to say that i think one thing we try to teach people also is you know to come in and greet like say hello and not even just like say hello to a customer when they walk in the door but we even say when you walk into the office Say hello to the people that are in there. Like, acknowledge your mm. teammates, acknowledge the customers, acknowledge the dish staff. Like, you know, be present mm-hmm. and be a participant. Awesome. See, I just did it again. Uh, <laughs> what's what's one uncommon standard of service? So, this is something that uh, isn't necessarily a belief or a, a value, but like a thing to do that most pe- most restaurants won't do. Like, a uncommon to the industry, but common within your restaurant. Hmm. I mean, we, we really want people to say, to thank customers on their way out, which mm-hmm. I never, ever get anywhere else, yeah. which is strange. Yeah, or even, you know, we try to tell the baristas, like, if somebody comes up to pick up their coffee, like, say thank you as they're picking up their coffee. Like, say thank you when they're done signing their yeah. name on the, you know, like, just thank them a lot. Yeah. Um, I think we have to, I think, especially with the first location, we had a bunch of people who came in. And they'd say, oh, this place is too cool for me. Or we had people who would come in and they'd say, I'm the oldest person in here. And, you know, um, we had to do a lot of work to make sure that people weren't either intimidated or um, put off by the space. And the way that we did that was, you know, like a lot of our baristas are, you know, like what 
people here would call hipsters, you know, or like tattoos up their necks and like the glasses and the beard and stuff like that. And we have to be like, people are coming in with an expectation of what this place is like and what you are like. And we have to completely go against all of those expectations. So, um, we work so, so hard at making sure that every single person is just very kind. It's not a jerk barista. It's not a jerk barista. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Did it again. Uh, <laughs> what's what's one book that's a must read uh, that will make us a better person or restaurant owner? I love reading business books. Um, anything by Zingerman's is amazing. Yes, their service training is awesome. Sorry, Zingerman's, I probably just fully lifted your book and like made it my training manual. It's so good. <laughs> that's that was the intent, though. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's yeah. so good, uh, and. Um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek is really fantastic for anyone who is an entrepreneur and wants to make something genuine. You can't say that and not have me ask you what your why is. Oh, man. We have this conversation. That's unfortunate because I thought about that a lot. Did I ever... I also forget everything. Did I come up with a why? You know, it's tough. (laughs) And this is something I struggle with every day. I have my mission statement and I feel like I've gone through like so many different like versions of a mission statement to like boil down. And like once you figure it out, then you like learn something new and you get like one layer deeper. Uh, It's really hard to commit to like one. It's tough. It's tough. To be honest, I can't stop myself. So in some ways it doesn't matter what my why is because I can't stop what I'm doing. It's a ball that's rolling and I can't stop. I think it's really important too, to make sure your why is like as short as possible. Yeah. Uh, And that, I think that was my biggest challenge finding my why it was, it was like started as like three sentences and I was like, that's way too much. Even if you get Uh, to the end of the book and you don't have a why it's still very valuable. He has a new book out, uh, how to find your why. Uh, Uh, Oh, I need to read that one. Yeah. There you go. Oh my God. Yeah. That's it. it. That's Uh, the one for sure. No. Uh, did you want to add to that? Okay, cool. Uh, share an online resource or a tool that's helped you in starting out your, your restaurant or cafe youtube youtube i i can't it's it's not glamorous at all but i cannot stress enough how much you can learn how to do something on youtube there's so many tutorials there's so many pastry tutorials um like there have definitely been times where we're r&ding a product and we just cannot figure out what we're doing wrong and i'll find some guy in like russia yeah. who is doing a tutorial of it and he does this one thing and we're all like that's it oh, you know man. so i use YouTube all of the time. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that's improved operations, communication, efficiencies, profitability? Like an actual piece of technology? Yeah, like like a, a brand? Like a, Yeah, like a, the tool itself. Honestly, Square. Square? Like, this is not a commercial for Square. No, and this is... And it's a little bit more expensive, but they are so awesome. Yeah. They're really, really good, and they're customer good. Service. Their customer service is fantastic. They ask my opinion mm-hmm. about things, which I obviously love. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah they fix things. Yeah. So I've heard good things. Square is a great product, and I think it works uh, best for cafes counter service because generally the or the the menu is small and it's mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Square is a very intuitive. S- yep, and Square is a very simple platform. Yeah, um, I've heard some people say as they scale, uh, they move away from Square because it's not might not be as robust as they need it to be. Um, but if you're just getting started, uh, it, it's a great like solid platform. Uh, do you disagree with that? No, it, I totally agree. I also wanted to plug Square. Uh, Square also gives loans, yeah, which are really yeah. awesome. Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of good things about Square. They're yeah. they're recommended a lot for sure. Yep. I, would- I was going to say Instagram. It has been an enormous platform for us. Um, we, I honestly believe that. Uh, 
a huge part of our popularity came from Instagram. People taking their picture outside of um, our shop in front of the Fox and then everybody you know, all of their friends want to go do it. We have so many people who are coming in and like, this place is blowing up my Instagram feed. Your, your logo is pretty damn cute. I'm it's, not it's, lie. I mean, that Fox has, has done right <laughs> by us for sure. Um, but I think Instagram has been just such, such a big deal for us. And I think it's reached so many more people than we could so have otherwise. Let's try Like, I agree that Instagram is like probably the platform to be on, like, because it's such a visual industry that we're in. Yes. Um, what's one thing that you're doing with Instagram that's been effective? Like, one, like, Instagram, like, like, a uh, trick or tr- like, you know, well, hack. I would recommend that while you're building and while we were building our second shop, like, Instagram came into the equation a little bit we were like well i think people could take a shot right here with the fox on the wall you start designing things that you think would look good in a picture which is not something we did with our first shop but we also ended up hiring you know it just so happened that one of our baristas was like an instagram celebrity and knew what he was doing and so we designated one person who was just posting to instagram so he posts beautiful shots we regrammed a lot in the beginning because people were posting these really beautiful shots of the cafe. So we did that. Um, a little a weird hack, like a trick that really seems to work is posting at the same time every day mm. and posting in the morning. I don't know why that works, but it does. And then for us, an, an enormous thing has been um, asking things, asking our Instagram followers something like, what do you think the next whatever yes, this should be? Yes, because that, that makes people comment. Yes, and they engage. And it, yeah. One and, thing I've seen people do is they say, just respond yes if you agree. Yeah. Don't even like make them think that hard. Yeah. If you say something that you know like is going to resonate with your target audience, yeah. say yes Yeah, if and, you agree with and this. We, you know, like, we recently put something up and we were like, we're looking for another location. Do you know, like, where should it be and do you know of a building? Mm-hmm. And that wasn't just so that we could get comments. Like we got hundreds and hundreds of comments. People were really into it. And I went through and read every single one. Like we really listen to what people post. Beautiful. All right. This is the last question and you guys can share your thoughts. I don't know how you want to approach this, but if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, uh, your restaurants and everything you've done would be lost with your departure. Uh, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three pieces of knowledge you could leave behind and tie your name to, what would those three things be? Honestly, what I've noticed a lot of people do when I ask this question, they just summarize the conversation, the big things from today's conversation that you most believe in. Go ahead. I mean, for me, it's just do the thing you want to do. That sounds so cliche and stupid. But so many people think and talk about the things they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so few people do the things they want to do. And I, I totally understand that everybody is limited by their resources. Get new resources. Mm-hmm. Find there, there's, there's a way to do things. And you just have to go and execute them. So do the thing you want to do is number one. What's number two? Always chase happy. If you... If you want to do something really well, I think you have to be happy doing it. If you want to do something that's pa- that you're passionate about and you want to do it really well, I think every single good decision that I have made in my life came because I was chasing happiness and not a paycheck and not status yeah. and not anything else. Like I really, truly believe in 
being brave and following happy. I'm going to compound on that because one thing I've learned, which is I think an invaluable lesson is that everything in life is relative. So we, we chase for more and more and more and a better lifestyle and a better lifestyle. But if you're doing all these things to get more, um, I mean, if you're not happy doing it, you're just going to be miserable. And really like once you're doing what, what, what makes you happy, like once you get comfortable living that type of lifestyle, but if you're happy, it's like I said, it's all relative. So we think that like things we're going to, you know, if we have a million dollars, like we're still going to be unhappy because like we're so comfortable living with a million dollars, like that becomes standard. It's all relative. Right. But if we're, if we're very modest, right. And we we're doing exactly what lights us up every day and we're following our, you know, our heart. Um, we're, that's the world we live in. It's relative to, and we're doing, we're, we're happy in that world. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I explained that well. Yeah, but, I, that makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I love that 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 the idea of relativity in your life. Uh, one more. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you guys. Uh, one more. So we got do the do what do what you want to do. Always chase happy. And number three. For me, honestly, it's share it share it with someone. Like this, I would not. I truly believe I would not be happy doing this if I wasn't doing it with Jeff. Yeah. So what do you mean by share it, share what makes you happy? Share the experience. I think, you know, it's even if you have a best friend, like trying to communicate with them, what this experience, what this ride, what your day to day feels like, it's impossible. They Mm. can't, they don't know what it's like to, you know, risk it or do those long hours or be afraid. And for me doing it with Jeff and having, this other person that I respect so much that I love so much, like get to go through it with me and watch this other person succeed and watch this other person grow. Like sharing that is, has truly, truly been like the best part of all of this for me. Beautiful guys. This has been a great conversation. Uh, a little long, but (laughs) it's okay. Uh, totally worth it. I, I don't mind, uh, sitting through a great conversation because that's where the quality is. That's where you 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 know make an impact, right? Diving deep. So uh, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been over what we agreed upon, but I'm so grateful for it. And uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator? So maybe somebody in like the Cincinnati area, or do you have somebody else locally I, in mind? I do not have somebody okay. local in mind, but um, Will and Kathleen Pratt, Portland, Maine. Ooh, yes, that's my, my Kathleen's the one that hired me. Nice. <laughs> so and who are they with? Tandem Coffee Roasters. Tandem Coffee Roasters. Look out. I'm coming after you. And uh, let the folks at home know uh, if we're interested in what you said to us today and when they, what you said today resonated with us. Uh, how can we connect with you maybe join your team or follow what you're doing? Um, foxinthesnow.com. Uh, if you, I probably shouldn't say this, but if you respond to the contact us page, it comes directly to me and Jeff. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> we, you know. Floodgates are open. Yeah. But, um. But yeah, we're, I mean, we're still so grassroots. We, we read everything. So great. And, uh, guys, again, I can't say enough. Thank you so much for opening up your space to me and uh, allow, allowing me to come in, uh, and to share your story. And, uh, you guys just starting where you started, uh, starting where you could scaling and just showing up and, uh, putting the hours in and man, it was just such a great opportunity just to make an example of you. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Jeff is really trying to say something right now. Go for it. I was just going to say thank you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable. I'm actually sitting in the basement right now. Uh, 
where we just recorded this, sharing my closing thoughts and uh, reflecting back at this conversation, the things I love about this conversation uh, were just the idea of doing what makes you happy and leaning into what makes you happy, right? And you can start today. Uh, you d- it doesn't have to be uh, this, this picture of where you want to be eventually. You don't have to start there. Start where you can. And for Lauren, that was starting with just volunteering and and treating it like a side hustle. And it wasn't even a side hustle. It was strictly volunteering. She, she was taking volunteer opportunities to learn. And we can all start there. What are you doing on your downtime? Like get out there, surround yourself with people who can teach you what you need to know, uh, become a person of value, get those skills, get that knowledge and just start there. And you will eventually, if, if you surround yourself with the right people and you're constantly, constantly learning, you'll, you'll get your, you'll get to be in a position where you can actually do something about what, what that ultimate dream is. And that's what, uh, that is what Lauren and Jeff did. They started where they could and they constantly grew. They, they lived in that, that area of discomfort, right? Put, be in that area of discomfort and that's where it will grow fast. Cause I mean, they, I think it was 2012, 2013 is where she started doing all this. And then by, or no, 2011. And then by 2014 with no industry experience, they created this, this booming cafe. So, stay uncomfortable. It's a good thing. Uh, start where you can and just lean into it is I think the big lesson in today's conversation. Plus, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to expect, right? So prepare for the unpredictable, uh, give yourself that buffer and then let your cash determine your growth and, uh, grow slowly and be careful not to get too robust. Stay as lean as possible are some other great, uh, you know, just tidbits that came from today's conversation. So, I think that's good for now. If you guys are enjoying this podcast and you want more like it, uh, reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want on the show. Uh, make your suggestions. I'm listening. Uh, you can support this podcast by uh, leaving a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Those reviews really do help uh, validate my effort and uh, help me stand out on an iTunes and Stitcher Radio. So please leave those reviews. I do accept donations. But the best way to support this show is by sharing it. If you're finding value and you want to share this resource with other people right now, whatever app you're using, do a screen capture and post it to Instagram and tag me, Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-R-E. So I can thank you personally for helping me spread the word. I want to think of this podcast as a movement of where we're going to, if we're going to create change in our industry, if we're going to make this industry better, it's going to come from within. It's going to come from us empowering each other, sharing stories and sharing knowledge. So that's the movement. That's the mission to empower restaurant professionals by sharing knowledge. Uh, and I need you guys to get out there and start sharing this stuff before we're going to make this happen. So, uh, thank you in advance if you do. And, uh, I think that's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.